Hey y'all, this is Charlie, and we are living, loving, laughing in grace. Woo! And uh, thank you so much for joining me uh, once again, my friends. I just, I'm so grateful for you. You know, um, I love my time that I get to spend with the Lord in His Word, uh, just basking in His presence and revealing Himself to me. And then you know what I love to get to do after that? Share it with you. <laughs> Amen. Oh, man, my friends, you know what? Our, uh, we, we recently, not too long ago, did a series where we looked at the generosity of Jesus, right? And how he... Um, how the Bible tells us that out of his grace, he became poor so that we could become rich. And then it goes on to tell us that now that we know that, that we see his grace towards us, it also tells us that he who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. And in that context, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it's talking all about uh, money, actual physical money. They were talking about a collection that was be, being gathered together to hand over to Paul for his ministry and the other churches. The churches that had more would make donations to help those that had less. Okay, so however, we can also take spiritual applications, right? In God's word, there's always so many levels that we can go through, right? Like a parfait. I've compared the word of God before to like a parfait, right? You have one level, you've got some fruit, you've got some creamy goodness, you've got some cake sometimes in the parfaits I make, and then you got some more fruit, some more yummy goodness, right? It just keeps going every time you come to it. You know, did, did you know you could also say that, that when you help spread a word of God, right? When you give a little, you get a little bit back. And the more you give of God's word, the more you get back. Right? We think in our mind, I need to wait till I've got all the understanding and I understand all of God's word perfectly. And I need to have all this great revelation and know the Bible, Genesis two revelations and back and forth and have all my scriptures memorized. And then I'll start sharing it with other people. And I tell you, you'll never start sharing it with anyone. But how about that one scripture that you know? My friends, that is where I started. It took me months, right? Because of the condition of my brain to memorize just one scripture. John 14, 26, which happens to be the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of all things I've said to you. Jesus himself helped me memorize that scripture. But once I had that scripture, the Bible tells us that God's word is life to all our flesh and medicine to us, right? Even that one word began working in my mind, began healing it. And then I could memorize more and more and more. But as you're memorizing, as you're meditating, you're drawing revelation out of it. John 10, 10 was another one. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Come on now. I know you can say this with me by now, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Share that one scripture, my friend. It starts with the one. I began texting a single word. I began sharing a single word with someone else in a, in a waiting room. We're both there because we're sick. 
Don't wait till you've got it all together. My friend, if we're waiting till we got it all together, then we think that it is our efforts and who we are that is going to save somebody. It's not my health that can heal somebody else. Abraham prayed for Abimelech, for all the women of his household to be able to have children when his own wife couldn't because he understood it was the power of God. But guess what? The anointing that flows through you to touch someone else, it doesn't bypass you. The very next chapter, Abraham and Sarah had their promised child. Hallelujah, my friends. And today the Lord, he is so gracious and so good. You know, he doesn't have to do that for us. He doesn't have to say, if you give a little bit, I'll give you more than the little bit you gave. If you give more, I'll give you more than that. That's really what he's saying. We know our God always goes above and beyond. Starting with Jesus. We don't deserve him. He gave him to us out of his great mercy and love. Amen. We're going to start there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Can you say with me, rich in mercy? I don't know if I finished that thought. I'm just going to back up real quick. My friend, just share the word that you got. And the more you share, the more you'll get. Right? I didn't wake up one day with all these revelations and truths from the Lord to start a podcast. It started by sharing with one. It started by sharing with just one. My friend, and trust in your Jesus. Remember, he's the savior. We are not. We never know what he might be able to do with that one word. Hallelujah. All right. So back to why? Because our God, who is rich in mercy, say it with me. He is rich in mercy. What is he rich in? He is rich in mercy. Do you know you will never find in the Bible that God is rich in anger? You will never find that he is rich in judgment, that he is rich in punishment. Does God have anger? Yes, he did. But it is a righteous, holy anger that we, we can't even comprehend. Is he the judge? Yes, he is. But the Bible says that's not what he delights in. He delights in mercy. He is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Wow, those verses keep getting better and better, right? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. All right, it's telling us ahead of time the why for what something that God did. It's saying, this is the reason God did what I'm about to tell you that he did. Because he was rich in mercy and he had this great love with which he loved us. Even, even when we were dead in trespasses. He's telling us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, you know what that means, friend? You weren't a believer yet. You were still a sinner. You know another name for that in the Bible? An enemy of God. When you were his enemy, when you were a sinner, when you were still dead in your trespasses, 
when you were rebellious. The Bible also says that's when you were rebellious towards God. You didn't know God and you didn't care that you didn't know God. You were doing your own thing. Even then, my friend, before you became a child of God, when you were dead in your trespasses, he had great love with which he loved you. Out of his rich mercy, out of his great love, while you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Say by grace, I have been saved. Now, what does this mean? That he has made us alive together with Christ. So before him, we were dead. How did we become alive in Christ? Christ took your place. It tells us in Romans that Christ died the death that we deserved so that we essentially we died in him so that we could die to the law. We died to our sins. We died to our old self. And now we have been made alive together with Christ. My friends, say it with me. Say, I am alive together with Christ. Why? Because of the grace of God. By his grace, you have been saved. Not will be. Not maybe. You have been saved. The moment you accepted Jesus Christ, my friend, this is what we're talking about when we say born again. You are born again. The first time you're born in the natural, but your spirit is still dead. Once you receive Jesus Christ, now your spirit has come alive and your spirit can never die, my friend. You can't go back and forth. You are alive together with Christ um, based on his grace, his mercy, and his love. Say it with me. Say his grace, his mercy, and his love. He has made you alive together with Christ. And as if that's not good enough, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When I tell you that your spirit is in heaven, this is where I get that from, my friends. Isn't that what you just heard? Your body's still here. Your soul, your emotions, your heart, your mind is still here. But your spirit is already in its permanent residence, okay? You are seated together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. My friends, you don't fall in and out of Christ Jesus. Once you're in, you're in. How did you get there? Through his efforts, through his work, through his sacrifice, by his grace, by his mercy, because of his great love. That's how you got there. That's how you stay there. Amen, my friends. It goes on to state, my friends, it just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Ah, I can't even get any further. Say it with me. The exceeding riches of his grace. Again, the what? The exceeding riches of 
his grace. My friends, God is preparing this great big show for us in which we're going to get to see the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know, when I was a kid, I was taught that when we get to heaven, there's going to be like this huge big screen TV and God's going to play all our sins on it for everyone to see. There is one thing right about that. There is one thing biblical about that. There's going to be a great show in heaven. But all the rest of that, my friend, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is designed to condemn you, to make you ashamed, to make you afraid to go to what? To heaven. Think of it. I, I understand that, that some people preach that in earnestness. They, were, they thought by preaching that they could help you to have a more holy or godly life. But their understanding fell so short, my friends. It makes people afraid to go to the one place we should be excited about going to, that we should be looking forward to, to be in our permanent, heavenly, perfect home with the God who loves us so perfectly and graciously and with such mercy that he laid down his own life for us. Yes, he does have a show waiting for us, but it's a show to display the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in his son, Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. My friend, there's no point in talking about our sins anymore when we get to heaven. What got us to heaven? Grace did. Jesus did. We're there to talk about Jesus. We're there to enjoy everything that he's given us that he already laid down his life for us. My friends, if God wanted to talk about our sins, he didn't need to send his son, right? He, he already had plenty of evidence to talk about our sins. Jesus did not need to come here to check them out. So for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, that not of yourselves, that not of yourselves. My friend, that should be our very confidence. That right there gives us freedom. It takes off the burden and the stress when we remember that's right. My salvation, it's not of me. My relationship with Jesus, it's not based on me. The love of my heavenly father, my daddy God, it's not based on me. Whether I blow it today or not. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. He loves you, my friend. It's not based on you. It's based on who he is. Everything about your relationship with him started with him, right? Jesus is the one who first called to you. We wouldn't have even known we needed a savior if he hadn't first given us the wisdom to see that we needed saving. He calls us. He calls his own sheep by name. He calls you by name. My friend, Jesus came to save the whole world. But we need to daily remember that he is intimately looking at 
each and every one of us, intimately loving each and every one of us. He calls you by name. Not, hey, you bunch over there. Hey, you group over there. Hey, that, that, that group, yeah, that Michael, Arch, Arch, Archangel Michael, yeah, get that group over there and go, go ahead and bring them in. Oh, my friend, he calls you by your name. How he loves you. Our relationship. My friends, the grace ground that we stand on, the favor ground, we have favor with God, not based on ourselves. You know, you, you can't change God's opinion of you. He knows you better than you know you. And he still loves you. He's still merciful towards you. He's still gracious towards you. Did you know that God can never be disappointed with you? Disappointment means that God was expecting a different outcome than the one that he got. My friend, that's a human, about a human failure. God knows what's going to happen. He knows the future. He knows that you're going to say no to him 7,362 times before you say yes. So he pursues and he pursues and he pursues. Where we think we blew it again. I smoked another cigarette. I had another drink. And we beat ourselves up. He's like, yeah, you're one step closer. We got to learn to see the way God sees. It's like, yeah, you did. But you're one cigarette closer to being free of that habit because he knows how many you're going to smoke till you're done. Yeah, you had another drink, but he knows how many you're going to have before you're done. He sees you still in that relationship you shouldn't be in and you beat yourself up. But he says, but I know you're another day closer to when you're done. Just keep coming to him. And remember that it doesn't matter. It's based our faith, our salvation, our relationship is not based on us. My friends, that's what grace is. If this sounds too good to be true, it should, because that's how grace sounds, my friends. Do you know Paul preached such a fanatical grace that they actually accused him of saying, what, are, are you saying that we should sin so that grace abounds? And I can kind of hear that, like, did you just say that I should keep sinning? So, because God still loves me and, and he's so gracious to me. But you know, my friends, you know how God, how Jesus deals with a believer? He reminds you of who you already are. See, that's the problem. When we fall into sin, it's because we have forgotten these things. It's because we have forgotten or never knew who we really are in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul's response was. He said, what? How can you continue to live in sin when you're dead to it? You are dead to sin, my friend. The problem is that we think the sin is still alive and we're dead. What did we just read? 
No, my friends, the sin is dead to us and we are now alive. Hallelujah. When we believe right, we'll live right. When we see our true identity, my friends, then we will walk out the truth of that life that Jesus has paid to give to us. We will become who we really are. We will live that out when we see what God has already made us. You are a child of God. My friends, a child of God lives in a spirit of excellence. You have already been made holy. You're not trying to be holy. Holy means simply set apart. You have already been set apart from this world. You're not trying to be set apart from this world. See that? You are a diamond. You are a precious, precious stone, a valuable diamond. The world is still rocks. Plain, ordinary, common rocks. Not set apart. That's why our lives are different. Because we are set apart. We have a value. What is that value? Jesus Christ in you, my friends. The highest value. The highest value. Oh, we. Woo. Wow, how this time has escaped us. And by the way, you know what? I feel like I should give you that Roman, that reference uh, from Romans. Actually, Romans 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Did you know that, my friend? The whole reason that God gave the law was so that the offense, that sin, might abound. Look it up for yourself. I'm all for God's law for the reason God gave his law. Romans 5 verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Why in the world would God want sin to abound? Now, my friend, this is after, right? When God gave the law was at Mount Sinai. This is after Adam and Eve rebelled against God and they brought sin into the world. So originally there was no sin. God's heart was not for there to be sin here. Here was the problem. Man was sinning, but he didn't believe it. He didn't know it. He thought he was all right. I'm doing okay. In fact, I'm so good, God. I can make myself as righteous as you. That's exactly what the children of Israel told God at the foot of Mount Sinai. They boasted and said, oh, you can command us, God. We can do. And so you see, the problem was, go back and look at the two years from Egypt to Mount Sinai. They were constantly sinning. They were complaining. They didn't trust the Lord, no matter how many miracles he performed for them. You know, they'd celebrate a miracle one day and go right back to disbelieving the next. Have you ever been there? Right? If we don't all say yes, we're lying to ourselves. It happens. Okay? They had murderous thoughts constantly. Wanted to murder Moses and Aaron every time something went wrong. They blamed God for everything wrong in their life instead of looking at his grace and his goodness, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he, how he demolished the entire uh, Egyptian army to save them. He parted the Red Sea. He brought the water from the rock. He rained down manna, angels, food from heaven for them. And still, they didn't believe in his goodness. Repentance is simply believing in the goodness of our God. 
changing our mind to stop thinking he is the problem, that he's demanding, that he's creating all this, all this death in our lives, in the world, and see that God is good. My friends, we have to first see the goodness of God himself before we'll ever see the goodness of God in our life. That's why every, every revelation of how good God is, is to our benefit, my friends. When we see his goodness, then we see his goodness. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we see his goodness in him, then we'll see his goodness in our life. But see, the children of Israel, they got to the foot of Mount Sinai and God actually started telling them everything he'd done for them. They didn't know him. Do you know they were actually worshiping Egyptian gods? They had been in Egypt for hundreds of years and they were worshiping the Egyptian gods. So God brought them to Mount Sinai so he could reveal himself to them. And he says, I've borne you on eagle's wings, you know, and then he goes through all the things he's done for them and never one time mentions their sin, never once. And after listening to the grace of God, to his goodness, to what he's done for them, they actually essentially interrupted him and said, all that you could ever command us, God, we could do it. See, the sin was there, my friends but they couldn't see it. And because they couldn't see it, they couldn't see their need for God. So the law came in. God said, okay, y'all need a mirror, (laughs) right? You are covered in mud. You're dirty. Your clothes are a mess. And you think you're some hot stuff. (laughs) Really, you're just a hot mess. Here's your mirror. Here's the law. And when we take the law and we try to use it to make ourselves righteous, what happens is that the sin abounds. The law doesn't put sin in us, my friends. The sin is already there. It just shows us that it's already there, right? When we try to keep it in our own efforts, we get so focused on it. I'll give you an example. Paul, later on in chapter 7. He says, I would have never known covetousness if the law hadn't come and said, thou shalt not covet. All right, what is covet? Covetousness is being jealous. Covetousness is desiring and wanting things that aren't yours. You want your neighbor's house. You want your neighbor's life. You want your neighbor's wife or husband, right? You want your coworker's promotion. You know, you want their car. You you just look around at everything around you and, and you covet things that aren't yours right that comes from a heart of of jealousy and a heart of unbelief and god is our provider and that was the one that got paul right he says i wouldn't have known covetousness except that that law came in so once he heard that law he goes on to say okay i'm not gonna covet i'm not gonna covet i'm not gonna covet so he starts trying to not covet trusting in his own efforts 
and his own abilities. And he says he becomes so miserable because all he could find was himself coveting all the time. And he's like, I don't understand what's happening. I keep finding that I'm doing the thing I don't want to do. I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. He's like, so the very thing that was meant to bring life to me is death. He goes, oh, how miserable. He actually says that. What a miserable, wretched man that I am. What is the answer? What is the answer? Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 7, verse 24. I thank, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, Christ Jesus came and he fulfilled that law for us. We're no longer meant to look at it. We're meant to look at Jesus. You know, Hebrews tells us how the law is meant to be used today. And it specifically says it is not meant to be used for believers. Why? Because the law is meant to show you how sinful you are so that you see you need a savior. And once you receive your savior, why would you need the law anymore? But there are people who think, like the Israelites did, I'm not so bad. The unbelievers, the ones that think I'm pretty good. I, I think I'm a pretty moral person. I'm a good person. And so they're on their way to hell. That's who the law is designed for. Really? You, you think that you're perfect? You think you're good? You think you're righteous? Have you ever desired to sleep with someone that wasn't your spouse? You know, Jesus. When the Pharisees came to him boasting in their own righteousness, right? That in their own law keeping, the problem was when people believe that they're not so bad, they're bringing the law down to a level where they feel good and comfortable with it. I'm keeping the law. And if you come to Jesus that way, because he loves you, He's got to bring the law back up to its perfect standard because if you don't see that you're falling short, you're going to die and wake up one day in hell. He let these words fly on the Pharisees because he loved them, because he wanted to save them, because he is the same God that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2, that he is rich in mercy and has this great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. The Pharisees were dead in their trespasses and they didn't know it. So they were on their way to hell, boasting in their own works and accomplishments and law keeping. So Jesus brought the law back up to its perfect standard. Oh really? Okay, well have you ever desired to sleep with someone that's not your spouse. Amazing how that one shut the mouth of everyone there. I think he's letting us know, right, what we struggle with. No one dared to try and argue with him. They were convicted. And yes, you know what? There were some Pharisees who did believe in Jesus. There were even some who did not consent to the way that he was treated and crucified. But the vast majority of them refuse to acknowledge their need for a savior. My friends, this is what the law of God is for. But for you, child of God, I just want to take a moment. If you are not a child of God, 
And you're thinking, wow, that was me. I thought I was doing all right. Have you ever let somebody think the wrong thing? The law says thou shalt not lie. You cannot ever tell a single lie. The Bible says the law is a composite whole. You break one, you've broke them all as far as God's concerned. Have you ever told what we like to call white lies? No such thing, my friend. Lies are lies. So if you're listening, you're like, wow, I see now my need for a savior. I want to, I want to be a child of God. This God that is so rich in mercy and loves me so much that even while I'm like this, rebelling against him, living in whatever kind of lifestyle you're living in, doing whatever it is you're doing, yes, he loves you. And it simply takes admitting that we need a savior and he will come rushing into your heart. That, that, that empty hole, that brokenness, my friend, will never be filled until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that's his place. He dwells in our hearts and you're meant to live in his. You're meant to live in his. So if that's you right now, I'm going to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Become alive with us, my friend. Become a child of God and receive your place in heaven. To say, Jesus Christ, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that at the cross, you took all my sins of my past, present, and future. And I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is not based on anything I've done. It's based on your grace, your mercy, and your love, and the finished work of the cross. You died with all my sins and came out of the grave declaring that I am now righteous. Heaven is now my home. God is now my father. He loves for me. He cares for me. He tends to me from this day on and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name, my friend, welcome. Welcome to the family of God. God is now your loving heavenly father. He is your daddy God. He's your papa. He's your Abba. Amen. Jesus Christ is forever your Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen, my friends. You know what? Wow, I do want to finish the other half of this verse, but the, the Lord led us into that moment. The other part of, of Romans 5.20 is, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but, but, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Did you hear that, my friends? God's grace always overcomes, abounds over Sin. sin cannot stop God's grace. Sin could not stop Jesus from coming. Where sin increased, grace increased and abounded much more. Skipping down to chapter 6, verse 1, I said I was going to give you this reference and then we got to close. Woo! What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? See what I mean? He preached such a robust grace, such a fanatical grace, such an out there grace that people must have been accusing him. Wait a minute. Are you saying that I should keep sinning so that I can receive the grace of God? What's his response? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin 
live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. My friend, you are no longer you are no longer dead in your sin. You are now dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Yes, sometimes will you still do sin? Yes, but you are no longer dead in it. I hope you can see the difference. You're alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. And in Romans 6, 14, I'll close with this for now. It says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law. What causes sin to have dominion over you, my friend? The law. Because if you're using the law, you're relying on your own efforts. But under grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. My friend, if there is a sin that you are struggling with, you simply need to expose yourself to the grace of God. Ask him for a greater revelation of his grace towards you, his love towards you, his mercy towards you. See yourself even now standing on his grace ground before your father in heaven. See that he is loving you. He is looking on you with eyes of mercy and kindness and compassion. You know why God hates sin in our lives, my friend? Because sin brings destruction and pain and death. God hates sin. God loves you. It's because of that great love with which he loves you that he hates the sin in us because he can see how much it's hurting us. We don't even know until he's removed it. So just look to him, my friend. Look to the greatness of his grace and love towards you. Just keep hearing messages like this. Just keep coming to your God, looking to him as your loving father and his grace will set you free. Where sin abounded, grace super abounded. Amen. Amen. My friend, this was supposed to be just the introduction. <laughs> wow, what an introduction it was. Amen. So um, we're going to cut it off now and we'll get back into the rest of what the Lord had for us today and the next podcast. I, I mean, y'all just know, you already know that's what's going to happen because that's what always happens. I just want to declare that over you one more time before I let you go. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Hallelujah, my friends. Hallelujah. All right, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my friends. Till next time, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.